This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Chinette brand. Chinette plates, cups, and cutlery let you enjoy every moment of your get-togethers. Available through retailers or grocery stores online. Bring all your unique celebrations to life with a little help from the Chinette brand. People come to StoryCorps for lots of reasons, but one of the most common is sitting down to record an interview that honors a loved one. So on this week's episode, in anticipation of Father's Day, we're bringing you stories of people celebrating their dads. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Jasmine Morris. We start things off with one dad's creative approach to parenting, all in the spirit of honesty. So we had in our family an amnesty day. I didn't think I needed amnesty you know, day. But your brother sure did. So he could say anything and there would be no retribution of any kind, no condemnation, no discussion. That's Bernie Feldstein speaking with his daughter Vicky. But Amnesty Day, the one day of the year where the Feldstein kids could confess anything to their parents without being punished for it, was created with someone else in mind. Growing up in Massachusetts in the 60s, Vicky's brother, Michael, was the troublemaker. At StoryCorps, he also sat down with his dad to talk about their unique family tradition. Was there anything that's so egregious that you really wouldn't even bring that up? One of the ones that I don't think I ever told you was there were crab apples that were pretty big in our backyard. And so we would take them and throw them as far as we could into the neighbor's backyard. They had this glass porch, and I hit one of these windows perfectly, and all 20 windows fell to the ground and smashed, and we just ran. Well, wait a minute. This is a new one. I'm not sure that there's a uh, statute of limitations on this. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Amnesty Day ended when I was 15. And then the time I was probably about eight or nine, we used to keep matches in the bathroom. And so I thought it was kind of cool lighting toilet paper on fire in a toilet. And I had a fire going. It was up like a foot, foot and a half, and it was going pretty good. And I flushed it, no problem. And I looked, and the toilet seat was burned. So I remember running downstairs and getting the watercolors and then trying to watercolor paint the toilet seat. When I was a little bit older than that, I had some firecrackers. I lived in an apartment in the Bronx with my folks. And I got scared, and I dropped it, and it dropped on the dining room table, and it burned a hole in it. And I painted it to match, and it didn't match well. So I did exactly the same thing. Three days later, my father looks at me and he goes, okay, what is it? You haven't been eating right. You don't look right. You can't smile. Something's up. So I showed it to him. He said, do you think the world's going to come to an end because there's a hole in a kitchen table? What's the matter with you? Once I let it out, it was like a great burden was lifted. I think this is the genesis, really, of Amnesty Day. I remembered what it was like to carry around guilt for having done something wrong and be hiding it. I just wanted to you to feel that you could share anything with me and that you'd find support for life. That's the Feldstein family for StoryCorps in Newton, Massachusetts, back in 2011. For our next story, we head to Southern California, where George Kaywood and his wife raised their four daughters. At StoryCorps, George sat down with his eldest, Gina, to talk about his joyful and sometimes challenging journey as a father. Dad, one of the most 
difficult times in my childhood, I think was one of your most difficult times in your life, and that is when you went through a major depression. Can you tell me about what that was like? Well, uh, if you've ever been walking down the street, maybe at night, and a huge dog charges you, growling and barking, you know, that that moment of utter panic and fear is like that 24 hours a day. Our bedrooms shared a common wall, and I could hear at, you know, five in the morning, you crying, just terrified to go to work and to take on another day. Do you remember the poem you wrote me? I do. Yes. That will my dad ever stop crying? <laughs> yes. It's like, can I have my dad back? Oh, gosh. Yeah. When I was going through it, I knew that there was this darkness that I'd been chasing off all my life that I knew if I was going to be genuinely happy, which I wanted to be, I was going to have to face all that darkness. And yet it's amazing. You are such a wonderful, loving father to us. Certainly, it's the thing I've worked at hardest in my life. Even though I made a lot of mistakes with you and your three sisters, um, you have not breathed a breath, Gina, you and your sisters, when you weren't the most important thing in my life. I remember when you were born, looking at you, saying, uh, I have no idea how to be your father. So my goal was I wanted to be positive with you. I knew I was going to have to say no sometimes, but I wanted that to be against thousands of yeses in the hopes that you would grow up as positive as you actually are. Sometimes when you did say no, I could bat my eyelashes at you and get you to change your mind. And <laughs> it still works. <laughs> Each of the four girls had their own technique. You know, yours was those brown eyes. Please, Dad. Well, see, I'm melting on the spot. You know, um, I think one of the things that my sisters and I have always felt is that you um, are a great, great man. And I hope that somehow this interview today brings you the honor that I think you deserve. I wouldn't trade this for every accolade in the whole world, you know. I love you, honey. I love you, too. (laughs) George K. Wood with his daughter, Gina, in Los Angeles. Our next story comes from two unlikely college roommates. In 1996, Will Smith had just enrolled as a freshman at Bowdoin College. At 27, not only was Will the oldest member of his class, but he was also raising the youngest, his infant daughter, Olivia. I wasn't planning on having you as my roommate. I actually thought that if Bowdoin College knew I had you, they wouldn't let me come to college. So I hadn't mentioned it to anyone. And I uh, got a job working at Staples, cleaning at night. And I had to take you in with me at work sometimes and hide you in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) I think I lost something like 27 pounds just from stress and not eating because I didn't have enough for both of us. My basketball teammates were my first babysitters. I just remember coming from class and there were four giant guys and and there was this... 18-month-old who was tearing up the room. (laughs) Were you ever embarrassed bringing me to class or just Uh, having me in general? I felt a little awkward, but never embarrassed. There were times when the only way I could get through was to come in and look at you and see you sleeping and then go back to my studies. And my graduation day from Bowdoin is a day I'll never forget. You know, all of my classmates... (laughs) 
they stood up and gave me the only standing ovation. I remember walking up with you and having my head in your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. The uh, dean called both of our names as he presented us with the diploma. So technically I already graduated from college. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> the degree only has my name on it, so you still got to go. <laughs> I really admire your strength. And I love you. <laughs> I draw my strength from you. I always have and I still do. That's Will Smith with his daughter Olivia for StoryCorps in 2012. They recorded this conversation shortly after Will was diagnosed with cancer. He died three years later at the age of 46. Earlier this year, Will and Olivia's story was included in our newest season of animated shorts, honoring some of the very best dads in the StoryCorps archive. The short is called Double Major, and you can see it on our website, storycorps.org. More Father's Day stories after this short break. Stay with us. Hi, this is Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Morgan Stanley. In turbulent times, perspective matters. Join Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley's chief investment officer, and his colleagues on the Thoughts on the Market podcast, where they share concise takes on current events and what they could mean for markets and the global economy. For the perspectives you need, subscribe and listen to Morgan Stanley's Thoughts on the Market every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on your favorite podcast platform. For James McBride, racism in this country has been a disease. It's been the cancer that has just been killing us. And now we want to address the problem. I mean, you can't address the cancer until you know you have it. And these people are seeing the cancer. Author James McBride on protests, a pandemic, and his new book. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Next, how one man changed the lives of three brothers, and how they then changed the course of his. Leo, Nick, and Stephen are triplets from Virginia, who have been blind since birth. Growing up, their single mom had a hard time caring for them. But when they were 10 years old, they met a man named Oli Cantos, who was also blind, and he quickly became their mentor. In 2014, the four of them sat down for StoryCorps. Oli begins the conversation. I had a lot of trouble growing up because I didn't have any friends, really. I was made fun of a lot. There'd be people who would put their hands in front of my face and say, how many fingers am I holding up? Same thing. Same thing with you guys, right? Yes. yes. So what were things like growing up? Well, every day was like, wake up, go to school, come back home, and you stay there for the rest of the day. There were certain things that I wish I could do, like go out and play in the snow like everyone else. Because I heard kids through the window, we could hear that they were having fun. The only thing I remember is when I was seven, we went to McDonald's and we went to the park. We rarely went outside. It was getting so bad that uh, I want to die. But it was one of the decisions that I'm glad I did not make 
because I would miss out on everything. Do you remember that night when I first arrived? Oh yeah, I do. Because I, I certainly didn't know that there were other blind people except me and my brothers. You didn't believe me that I'm really blind. So I'm like, well, yeah, here's my cane. And then you left, came back with a book and then you put my hand on it and it was the Bible. You couldn't believe that I actually read Braille. It just made me feel like I had a person that I could trust because I didn't trust anyone. I took you guys individually to learn how to use your canes better. And we just go to the corner store. And I remember Leo, one day the store clerk, she said, is that your son? And, you know, before I could answer, you put your arm around me and you said, yeah, it's my dad. And uh, I said, do you know what that means? You said, well, you take us places, you protect us, you help us with our homework. Sounds like a dad to me. Whenever I hear you call me dad, it's the highest compliment to me. You three used to be in the same situation that I was. And to see you come out of that and to be the way you guys are now, it's impossible to describe how grateful I am that I get to be your dad. That's Oli Cantos in Arlington, Virginia, with Leo, Nick, and Stephen, who were 14 years old at the time of their interview. In 2018, Oli formally adopted the brothers, who are now attending college, and like their dad, have also started mentoring young people. Our final story comes from two familiar voices you heard on our last episode, Albert Sykes and his nine-year-old son, Aiden. They first came to StoryCorps in 2015. So, Dad, why do you take me to protest so much? <laughs> I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is that I want you to see what it looks like when people come together, but also that you understand that it's not just about people that are familiar to you, but it's about everybody. Did you know the work that Martin Luther King was doing was for everybody and it wasn't just for black people? Yes, I understand that. Now a teenager, Aiden continues to seek advice from the man he admires most. So he and his dad sat down for another StoryCorps conversation soon after George Floyd was killed by a Minnesota police officer. What do you think about the protests that are happening now? I hate that they're necessary, but I also appreciate that we're living in a world that we borrow to be able to give back to the folks who come behind us. And your responsibility when you borrow something is to give it back in the same condition. But if you can give it back in better condition, that's the goal. So the protest that you were just at on Saturday in Jackson, when you looked around, how did you take that in? Oh, I was happy because I saw a lot of young people like me out there. People of all ages and all colors and all shapes and all sizes. And I was like, at least we got some backup. What's been the hardest part of dealing with all of this for you? The hardest part is knowing they could have been me. And Breonna Taylor could have been my mother. Next month, you turn 15. You're growing up, getting so tall and getting hair in your face and just your presence. Some places, people don't see the child in you. They don't see the innocence in you. Even though you're not a threat, you're still perceived as a threat. But when I look at you, not only do I see somebody who looks just like me, I see a beautiful kid coming into understanding himself. I see somebody who makes me proud up and down. 
being black, it's one of the best things and one of the most beautiful things you can ever be. But it's like you always have a target on your back. Yeah. I want you to always understand that you was born with everything it takes for you to survive in this world. So keep the wind pushing you forward and you keep the sun shining on your face. I mean, we had talks about how much you mean to me and things that I have learned from you are how to love endlessly. And I tell people, like, that's my hero. Knowing that I'm your hero is one of the best things I could ever hear. And the most important lesson I've learned from you is when you want something, keep fighting for it. Don't let nobody tell you you can't. And no matter who or what gets in your way, keep going. That's Aiden Sykes and his father, Albert, who recorded their first interview in 2015 when StoryCorps was in Jackson, Mississippi. They recorded with us again five years later using StoryCorps Connect. To find out how to record your own interview, even while social distancing during the COVID-19 pandemic, visit storycorps.org. This episode of the StoryCorps podcast was produced by Sylvie Lubau and Judd Esty Kendall, edited by me, Jasmine Morris. Our technical director is Jarrett Floyd, who also wrote and produced our theme song. Our fact checker is Natsumi Ajisaka. Special thanks to facilitators Vanessa Gonzalez-Block, Danielle Anderson, Daniel Sitz, Sophia Simon-Ortiz, Michael Garofalo, and Pia Kochar, as well as producers Von Diaz and Katie Simon. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Jasmine Morris. Thanks for listening, and happy Father's Day. This podcast is brought to you by supporters of StoryCorps, an independently funded nonprofit organization, and is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.